Good morning, everyone. Uh, today we're continuing in our Vision Sunday series, and to start off, I want us to uh, um, walk through a couple passages of Scripture. I'm going to be talking about temples toppled in community, let there be temples toppled. And so I wanted to read a couple different uh, verses about temples uh, from the Psalms onward. Uh, just listen, you can try to follow along if you want, but I'm going to just hit it over and over again. Also, um, I turned 40 in December. You know what's more impressive than that? Is the Goshertz turning 40 today in their marriage. Happy anniversary. Can you imagine? I've been alive as long as you've been married. <laughs> you're still better looking. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And you're probably better dressers, too. Than me. Yeah, the sweater's 40 years old, so. Okay, let's turn our attention to the word. I'm going to start in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, I'm not going to give all the references, I'll just give you the, the general idea. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And then over to Jeremiah during um, one of the exiles that was going on and people thinking that they could run into the temple to get protection but not actually change their ways. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. This is the word that came to Jer Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who are coming through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land that I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to foreign gods and follow other gods whom you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And then jumping over to the gospel, uh, Mark 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent Buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone there will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And then over to John chapter 2. This is after Jesus clears the temple courts and the Pharisees are like, why are you doing this? What sign of authority do you have? 
The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this, to drive people out of the temple? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And then jump over to Acts 7 if you're trying to follow along. This is during Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. Temple, tabernacle, some similarities though not the same. Our ancestors, so this is Acts chapter 7, verse 44, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern that he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors understood Joshua, brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place, a temple, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, prophet Isaiah, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? I'm going to continue that, that quotation mark that doesn't continue in Acts. It says, so where will that place be? These are the ones whom I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And then we jump over to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And then finally, uh, Revelation 21. Starting in verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. So uh, this um, vision of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the new city of God. I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter in, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book 
of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are continuing part three of uh, Vision Sundays that are happening in January. Um, Two weeks ago, Pastor Jim gave the message about vision fatigue, and um, he really tried to encourage our hearts and talked about that even in the midst of vision fatigue, God is still working. And one of the things that stuck out to me in his message was that it's not necessarily that either you have faith or don't have faith. It's that faith is a muscle that must be exercised and must be used and developed. And then last week, Pastor Joy, um, in her message about presenting ourselves out of Romans 12, talked about um, she tried to exhort our souls about that when we worship, that it is in heart and it is in spirit, and yet there's this embodied worship that our bodies uh, are meant to kind of go along with what's actually happening inside of us. And one of the things that she mentioned that stuck out to me is, are we peculiar enough that people ask curious questions about the church? Are we peculiar enough? Are we presenting ourselves before, the God, before God? And are we worshiping not just with our minds and our hearts, but in connection with all of that and our bodies? And in two weeks, uh, next week is Cornerstone Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, but in two weeks, Barry, who's the elder chair, will come. And he's going to review um, what uh, myself and Joy and Jim said. And he's going to kind of review those things so we can remember. Um, and then uh, today, I'm bringing the third one which is, uh, I've entitled the, the, the message, Goodbye Church. I'm not leaving, by the way. Um, before we get into that, you might have noticed this logo um, that I've been slowly integrating into. The Cornerstone really hasn't had a logo. It's had something where it's been uh, like uh, a logo as far as text, but not necessarily an image that we could just like put somewhere almost as a marker. And so I've been looking for a logo for eight years for Cornerstone. And I found one of this on bathroom floor floor tile in Hamburg, and then it took me a while, it took me a while to actually track it down on the internet to buy the image to do this, and at its most basic level, it's a stone in a corner. Everybody see that? Okay, but when you look at it, do you see, initially, do you see one stone in the middle, or do you see three cubes on the outside? Who sees one cube in the middle? Raise your hands. Yeah. And what, and what about three cubes on the outside? Can you see the three? So more so the three cubes. Wow. I see the, the cube in the middle a lot more. Yeah. Yep. And that's God right there. <laughs> you see an old lady or a young woman? <laughs> no, and I love this about how it talks in, in, my, in, my, um, in my mind, how this like speaks one cornerstone. That should be obvious. But then it's one thing, but it's also three things. It also has very distinct lines. There's not wavy lines or anything else. It's kind of clear and cut, and yet it's mysterious, right? And that is the Lord, where there's this clear-cut stuff and also this mysterious stuff about him. There is this oneness and there's this threeness. Christ the cornerstone, and then you can go on and you can wax eloquently about in Christ and community in Lebanon or... Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, and and all that stuff. Um, But I was just interested to see how that plays with your eyes and what you saw first. So most of you saw the three cubes first, which is really really interesting. Um, So today's today's message uh, for me is uh, called Goodbye Church. And uh, the title is supposed to be ambiguous, um, just like uh, the, the placement of commas is important, where you put things is important. You might have seen this meme on the internet or whatever, 
Uh, Terry shows it to me like once a week to be like, Justin, you're horrible at grammar. Um, that's not true. But so depending on where you put the comma of, of, of something, it can communicate different things. It could be, let's eat grandma, like, hey, let's go to Wendy's, get a vanilla frostuccino and uh, a baconator, and let's eat. Or it can be, let's eat grandma, like, oh, it's the apocalypse and we need food. Um, who's the best person to kind of go to the side? And so the placement of the comma is important, and the placement of the, the phrase goodbye church is also important for today's message, uh, because it's not that I'm saying that I'm leaving the church, or that I think anybody else should leave the church, and it's interesting, because if you're a Christian, you really can't leave the church. You could leave a local manifest body of the church, but for you to leave the church means that you're almost leaving yourself because you are the church, that you are part of the church. And so when you leave, if you were to leave the church, it could feel like this community of Christ. Initially, and I've been there, it can feel like this act of freedom almost. And yet what can really happen inside is that there's this tear because you're actually tearing part of yourself. Because if you leave who you are or who you're called to be with, you're also cutting your soul. And it might seem like freedom, but in reality, it can oftentimes become a spiritual schism within a person. Different things call for different um, acts that we need to do all throughout our lives, but I'm not talking about goodbye church, I'm out of here. I'm also not talking about the church going away, meaning like, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and the church isn't going to exist anymore. That's also not possible. I heard a story um, from a friend that was in Japan for the past couple years, and he was in this little community in Japan, and he was learning about the history of it. And in Japan, there was different kinds of historic persecution where they kicked all foreigners out, including Christian missionaries. And so for 100, 150, 200 years, as far as they knew, there was no representation of the church there. The government kicked them out. The, uh, the, The culture went to what its traditions were. And yet then when other missionaries started, when the country started to become more open, what they found in this is that there was this underground, um, uh, alive portion of the church that was still there. And so even if persecution comes to the church in decades and decades future in America or wherever, even if the buildings get shut down, even if you're quote-unquote not supposed to meet with one another, the church still exists. And the church is still there because you can't get rid of the spiritual body that is Christ. There might be restrictions on gathering like we see in other countries. And I'm not saying any of this is happening. I'm just saying that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying goodbye church that all of a sudden things are going to change. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we as the church, a single entity, a plural people, need to say goodbye to some things. That the temples of glory and image and perfection Let them be toppled in our hearts and in our minds. So I just want to briefly go through uh, three things. As uh, Pastor Jim uh, encouraged our hearts, joy, kind of exhorted our souls, this is more of a philosophical consideration of your mind to renew your mind uh, before the Lord and in community with one another that I would have you leave from today. Um, And so what I did is uh, I went on the internet because the internet's a great place right now. And uh, what I did find that was awesome was uh, breakup lines that are um, put in the language of pickup lines. So breakup lines that are put in the language of pickup lines. And to make this, because this is actually pretty heavy stuff that we're talking about. And so I just wanted to inject a little bit of humor while also being like, we need to consider this. 
So, um, so we got glory, perfection, and image are the temples that we need to be that need to be toppled at this time, I believe. And I'm going to attach isms to each of these things. Dear triumphalism. I'll tell you what that is in a second. Dear triumphalism. I think it's about time we cancel our gym membership. We're not working out anymore. Get it? Get it? Okay. Goodbye, church. Meaning, we as the church are saying goodbye. To triumphalism. So what is triumphalism? If I were to define it for right now, in our day and age, taking some other theologians' uh, thoughts and then interjecting my own, I would define triumphalism, um, and this is more so in community to our individual hearts. Our individual hearts and personal hearts are important, and yet they're still connected to one another in community. So this here, this triumphalism, I think we need to focus on our, on our hearts and uh, the temple of our hearts. Triumphalism focuses on the Christian life being one of glory while neglecting that it is also to be one of suffering. It allows for the unlawful marriage of some foreign power to benefit itself so that it can win, all the while losing the essence of her identity and ministry. Rather than the gospel reconciling all things, all things are used to actually restrict the gospel from being what it truly is. Example. Um, wrong way. So in, in, uh, if you look at the history of the temple in the scripture and in Roman history and Greek history and Jewish history, there was, there was the tabernacle, then there was Solomon's temple, and then that got taken down. Then there was the second temple that happened after the exile. But then, along with the second temple, there was also, it's not called a third temple because it wasn't destroyed, there is Herod's temple. And what Herod's temple did is that Herod uh, and uh, Rome basically occupied Jerusalem and Israel, and they were the governing power over there. The, the Israelites, the Judeans, the people of God that were made for that land at that time had this other power over top of them. And so in order, in part, to get in their good graces, Herod the, the, the emperor, what he did is that he took the temple, Solomon's temple, or uh, let's say the second temple, and he rebuilt it with bling and bling and bling. And so you can see here that on the left-hand side here, this is Solomon's temple to the scale that, um, that, that David, uh, David and Solomon did. And then here is Herod's temple. So we have this and... Uh, we have this, and then we have this, and if you can see down here, this is Solomon's temple, the size, and then down here, this is Herod's temple, the size. And it was known as one of the magnificent wonders of the world. Like, people would come from all over um, the, the nations that were around there to see Herod's temple, to see this magnificent thing, to see this magnificent building, as John said when he was talking to Jesus about, look at these buildings, look how magnificent they are. And so one of the things that was built into it, for the most part, it was okay. It was to specs except expanded. But there was one thing in particular that happened that really, um, to the priests, really upset the priests. And that on one of the gates on the outside, there was a symbol of the Roman eagle, of the golden eagle. And especially back in that day, certain symbols were just outright idolatry. And so on the gate going into the temple, there is this symbol that is saying, you might think this is God's temple. You might think this is the Jews' temple, the Judeans' temple. 
But just so we're clear, this is my temple. Just so you know who has power, the Roman emblem is over top of this. So some of the priests weren't going to stand for this, and so two of them in particular, as uh, Josephus writes about, will go in and they tear it down along with 40 others. Herod brings them into his court. What are you doing? Do you not see what I've done for you? Do you not see what I did for you? Look at this compared to where you were 30 years ago. That was nothing compared to what I did for you. And you were here desecrating this image? And so Herod was upset about that. He let them go. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He burned them at the stake along with 40 others. And so my question for us, as we think in our minds and our philosophy, is like, what is the symbol over the gate of our heart right now? What is the symbol over the gate of the church right now? And other local bodies are different. Um, but I'm, think about your own heart as a temple right now. You know, do we have these symbols of gates that we're tempted to? Are we tempted towards the donkey or the elephant or the American flag right now? Are we tempted towards the gavel, which is my favorite right now, to be able to judge everybody that we see? Do we have the emblem of a social media thumbs up for popularity? Do we have a dollar sign as the emblem over the temple of our heart right now? It's like, oh, this is the Lord's, but the reigning power that's over it by which we come through is actually something else. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he told them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What does it profit the church to gain the whole world and yet lose its soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him then he, when he comes in the Father's glory and with the holy angels. One of the temples that needs to be toppled is this idea of glory. And there is a redemptive thing of glory that's all over the biblical text. I don't think we're there to even consider that right now. That we need to let go of the false glory um, that we can so easily be tempted by. And that's the temple that needs to be toppled along with triumphalism. That there is victory, but there is also suffering. Next, number two. I'm going to jump over this way. The temple that needs to be toppled is image. Dear, I, dear idealism, I will always cherish my initial misconceptions of you. Goodbye, the church. What is idealism? Idealism is a spiritual blind spot of either sin or brokenness, sorry, of either sin or beauty that can develop into a subconscious, unrealistic vision of utopia or dystopia. What are you talking about, Justin? Idealism is that when we think that um, there's this perfect image of something and it doesn't happen, then we must not be doing it quote-unquote right, which could be the case. And yet, if we're going by the image standards of the world, we're never actually going to get a place of fruitfulness because we're not going to be vulnerable for one another. Now, this, I believe, has to go specifically with Cornerstone, so the, uh, the Temple of the Heart, now that's brought in out to our community in this room online, uh, uh, this, this temple of image. I think one of the ways that this temple and the coming 
year, two years, needs to be toppled, is that we need uh, to be in one another's homes more. Okay, so I think the, the, the COVID and pandemic and coronavirus have actually set us up to realize how important one-on-one -on -one community is and how important it is to be in one another's homes because we haven't been able to do that. And yet, there can also be this idealism with house churches or with small groups and everything else that we also need to let go of. You know, the early church in Acts 2 made it a priority, not just to meet in the temple, as Acts 2 says, but also to fellowship in one another's houses. I understand that's not possible right now. But are we looking to the future when that will be possible and preparing our hearts and our idealism to be thwarted in order to do that? So in this upcoming season, I think that's something that might actually help to break this idea of idealism. Why? Because it's harder to hide in a room than it is here. It is harder to hide in a small group of 12 being looked at directly into the face, Mike, what is going on in your life? And it's a lot easier to, to some degree, to share stories of beauty too. Because we don't want this to be this dystopia where like everything in the world is completely broken. You could argue it is. Um, but that there's also God working his beauty in our individual lives. And we need to hear that from one another, not just from some guy with a Madonna mic on his on his uh, face, or a small group of people from the preaching stage. Teaching and preaching is important, but what about the stories that we can share? Remember, um, just for instance, a couple years ago when Matt did the pink slips. Remember, there were these stories that were happening. Well, how can we just make those everyday spaces, how can we merge those with the eternal spirit of God? So that it's not weird to be in one another's homes praying for one another and singing songs. And I get it. There's this idealism. So uh, what is one of the words for the church in the New Testament, the Greek word? Yeah, yeah, so I'll say ecclesia, okay? Ecclesia, usually in the New Testament, that word is used for church. It means assembly, and it's used in a positive way, except for in Acts 19. And in Acts 19, there is this assembly, this ecclesia that is getting together because Paul converted somebody, and now the town is losing money, and they're going to stop worshiping the other gods. And all these people assemble this ecclesia, uh, and I'll just say this church assemble, and there's this line in Acts 19 that if you've ever done house church or home groups before, this might be, this, I just laugh at this. I feel like this is an out-of-context truth about it. It says, the assembly, the ecclesia, was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. <laughs> I think that I, I've experienced that in small groups before. Like, what are we doing here? You know, or it can be like, like this person, Naomi's over here saying this stuff, Nikki's over here saying this stuff, uh, Justin's in the corner judging everybody again, and, and what's going on. But there doesn't have to be this disorderly gathering either. There can be something that is both natural and focused into that, where we, the two or three are gathered, and when we gather, it's in the name of Jesus. It's not that me and Jim and Joy get together and that we gossip about, oh, all the rest of Cornerstone. Or it's not that, I'm just using names here, uh, Jim and Cindy and Paul get together and be like, oh, let's gossip about Justin and Jim and Joy and Mike especially. Like that's not gathering in the name of the Lord. But when we can get together and seek the Lord in vulnerability and breaking of bread and worship, and, and it's good to just hang out too. And I think we're going to feel that even more as pandemic hopefully rolls back. Uh, Naomi and I do joke, though, sometimes when we do get right now um, uh, in, in closer community, it wipes us out right away. It's like our uh, muscle of community 
hasn't been exercised, and so you like talk with somebody for half an hour and you're wiped out for the rest of the day. Because you're just like, I'm not used to this and hearing all this stuff and, and everything else. So yeah, there's a learning curve there. But there's this temple of image of who I am and what you think of me and who you are and what I think of you that needs to be thwarted to see both the beauty and the ways we struggle in our individual lives and to invite the Lord into those places. Sunday morning gathering is great and important. It's not everything cornerstone. And we need to figure out how to move without letting go of that necessarily into something else, um, into this uh, place of uh, smaller communities that are still seeking after the Lord and that um, we can let go of our idealism of one another and rely on the grace of God. Okay, third thing, image, glory, image. Uh, next temple to be toppled is that of perfection. These are all kind of integrated, if you hadn't noticed. Um, so the last one, dear elitism. I would love to say this to elitism. This is so trashy. This is so great. They say one person's trash is another person's treasure. Well, I hope you find someone who treasures you. <laughs> Goodbye, church. Elitism is the mentality. Sorry. When I think about elitism, I think about the church of Lebanon and the church of the region. So we go from the temple of glory that's in our own hearts, what symbol is over that, go out to Cornerstone, the temple of um, image and um, idealism of one another. And that idealism could be negative, not just positive. Um, and how we need to uh, uh, topple that temple. And then we go wider into the church of Lebanon. And elitism in this context is the mentality that a single church is superior and the dominating player in the town. Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Listen, you are complete in Christ. Cornerstone is complete in Christ. But by definition, what that means is that there's actually a need because of our weakness to rely on the strength of the rest of the body of Christ. So there's this weird thing where you are complete in Christ and yet you're not complete in and of yourself. Because that's not how God designed you to be complete. And so then take that from the individual of my weaknesses and Matt's strengths and, and Matt's strengths, uh, weaknesses, and my strengths that as the body of Christ can come together. And now broaden that out to the different churches that are in Lebanon. And I understand that there might be theological differences and some of them might not even be theologically sound. I get all that. That's another conversation. But if they are in Christ, we need one another somehow. And we are not in a place in our culture to think that way. And I want to say this, that while it is up to the leaders to some degree of churches to get together and build those bridges, not even for action, but for trusting relationships, is that you as a um, congregant, or I don't even know what to call that, you as a person at Cornerstone that's not in leadership have so much power in this about how you speak about other churches and about how you view other churches and how you pray for other churches. I was on a pastoral call a couple weeks ago with a group of pastors, and we were talking about unity and this thing. And I'm not saying this is true for Cornerstone, but he said 
it for his church, and I think it might be a similarity throughout the broader church, is that the only time he ever hears people within the congregation that aren't leaders talk about church unity is when they're leaving. It's just like, oh, well, we're all, we're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same church. So it's not like I'm leaving. You know, I'm just going to go. I was just like, dang. Yeah. I've, I've heard that before. Maybe not here. Maybe on the West Coast. Maybe here. But that idea of like, um, that's when we talk about church unity. When there's a removal of the, of the person from a local into something else. And that needs to be combated. And that temple needs to be toppled. And Cornerstone has specific design elements, just like Calvary does, just like the Good Shepherd does, just like Friedman Christ does. And we cannot look at ourselves as elite, even if we have specific things we're called for in the city of Lebanon and as the church. So Cornerstone, as people, you have power in this as well. So what to do during this time with this, this knowledge or whatever you want to say, these ideas that I shared that I believe are something for us to consider with the Lord, um, is that we should take these and prepare the way of the Lord. And the way to prepare the way of the Lord is that we need to surrender and give up and give over some of these things. And we need to be born again. I think the church is at a point uh, where it needs to be reborn again. And that means some of the great things that we've held on to that were in the past uh, need to move forward so that the actual glory of the Lord won't be hindered. And that's going to cause some um, stepping on toes. That's going to cause some uh, points of reconciliation. That's going to cause some misunderstandings for sure. But that, that is something that I feel like if we're talking about vision long term, past this year, I would suggest that we need to continue to prepare our hearts for these things, for getting those emblems off of our hearts that want to inform our Christianity, to, um, as a community, be in the mindset of, like, I need to be with the church family, even when it's difficult, not just on Sunday mornings, but at other places, face-to-face, in small groups or some kind of community groups. I don't know. And then also, how do we view the church outside of Cornerstone? How do we view the body of Christ that is in Lebanon, and how are we praying for them and praying into that? So I want to read Isaiah uh, 40 and then read another passage. Uh, Ron and the worship team can come back up. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of the one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness of this pandemic, Prepare the way of the Lord. In the wilderness of polarization of everything, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I think Mary... The mother of Jesus is this beautiful picture of the church, and she was a person too, but how she had the spirit of God and actually the flesh of Jesus dwelling inside of her, dwelling inside of her. And similarly, we have the spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And so you might notice that a lot of the things where it's like in 
Christ, let there be. In community, let there be. In Lebanon, let there be. And that was very intentional language because these aren't necessarily commandments giving from joy or Gemini. There's this uh, justive tense in the Hebrew scripture when it says, let there be light. That there is this act of creation and yet there's also this unfolding where there is this participation of what's going to happen if we let this thing be. And so as we go into 2021, um, I would like our prayer to be the prayer of Mary, where it's, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord that puts down elitism, that puts down triumphalism, that puts down idealism. Let it be according to your word. And finally, don't you know that you, plural, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourself. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight as it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.